David Kim, A Call for a New Faith and Work Movement. This podcast is brought to you by the Center for Faith and Work. David H. Kim presents the need for an integrated faith and work movement that takes seriously the sovereignty of Christ and remembers the renewing work of the Spirit. Kim explores and emphasizes the importance of a narrative that's comprehensive enough to drive forward the challenge of humanizing work. Well, good morning. We're so glad to have you join us a second day for our conference. And uh, for those of you who weren't here yesterday, we had uh, Tim Keller and Mark Crawley and Julia Easterlin present to us kind of the beginning of this theme of humanizing work, helping us understand uh, kind of the the embodiment of humanizing work and Julia's performance, uh, some of the biblical foundations in Tim Keller's presentation, as well as some of the facts around why humanizing work is so important that Mark presented to us, uh, given his experience as a leadership consultant. And this morning, I I want to present to you a little bit of a retrospective as well as a prospective, thinking about this concept of faith and work. And so I want to zoom out a little bit and try to think about why do we even have conferences like this? When I started with the center about five years ago, I read this quote that I find myself referring back to often. And this is a quote by Dorothy Sayers. Uh, a British writer about 60 years ago, and she wrote this. And nothing has the church so lost her hold on reality as in her failure to understand and respect the secular vocation. She has allowed work and religion to become separate departments and is astonished to find that as a result, the secular work of the world is turned to purely selfish and destructive ends, and that the greater part of the world's intelligent workers have become irreligious or at least uninterested in religion. How can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern for nine-tenths of his life? And this is a quote in some ways, uh, it's a little bit haunting for someone who works in this faith and work space. And when I've thought about how we've transitioned over the last five years, what has become more evident to me is the knowledge of what we don't understand more than what we do. And that's often true with any endeavor that we take seriously. The more you start looking at something, you find less answers and more questions. And I began to ask myself this question of, why is this faith and work movement so slow? She wrote this 50 years ago, and why is it that 60 years later or so, that we don't see that much more advance? We need conferences like this to even think about this idea of humanizing work. Shouldn't it be a little bit of a no-brainer that work should be humanized, that it should be a reflection of what it means to be a human being with all of the complexities and all the glorious attributes that we designate to this term human? And yet, as we heard from Mark last night, that's just not the case. We've seen dehumanization happen consistently over the last few decades, and we have to pause to say, what's wrong here? especially as we think about the role of the church in all of this. And when we think about how the church has responded over the years, I think of what's kind of at the front of your notebooks, this this simple ampersand. And over the years, this has become more or less uh, the unofficial logo of the Center for Faith and Work. And as I think about the significance of an an ampersand, it, it signifies this word and. Faith and work. But you could take that to mean two different things. And could mean something that's additive to your life. 
kind of like salt and pepper. And when you put salt and pepper in a salad, you taste both salt and pepper. It's additive. As opposed to something, an and that is integrative, that combines things together in such a way that creates a whole new whole. And as I look at the, the landscape of faith and work, at least in, in this country, uh, much of the, the work and the movement has been in those poles of the, the and elements, where faith has been brought into the workplace in an additive sense in terms of prayer, in terms of meditation and reflection, and in some, some contexts, even workplaces allowing worship, which is great. And then on the other extreme, there is a sense that the world has come into the church and brought some work elements into the church. Uh, Christian organizations launching entrepreneurial incubators, accelerators, these are great things. But what I see lacking is this center area, what I would call the integrative center, where at the extremes we have the additive elements, but when we look at the history of the world, especially with respect to the church's involvement with public engagement, a lot of the examples actually fall in the center. It's much more integrative and less additive. And when we think about this idea, what should the church be doing when we look to the scriptures? Should it be additive or should it be integrative? And one of the key passages that continue to drive what we do forward is this passage found in the book of Revelation 21, one of the final passages in the whole of scripture. And it's a simple phrase, behold, I am making all things new. And when I think about the quality of the work of redemption in our world, not just within the context of the church, but in the whole of our society, the adjective that the scripture ascribes to this work is this word new. And new needs to be carefully qualified, as it is a theologically rich term. And this word new is connected to the work of Christ. Behold, I, meaning the work of Christ, is making all things new. And so what qualifies our understanding, at least from a Christian theological perspective, of this word new, is the work of Christ. But whatever this redemptive work is, it has this quality of being new. It has to be innovative. Something comes to life that didn't quite exist prior to this new existence. And I want to, my hope for this conference and the work of the center moving forward and all of you who are here is to, to think carefully about what does it look like for a new faith and work movement that begins to fill out this integrative center that understands that faith and work is not merely an additive of trying to squeeze faith elements into your existing work lives. But starting from a whole new integrative whole where we take seriously the reality of Christ and his lordship and his reign over the entire world. Whether we may believe that or not, that is the claim that the scriptures bring to us, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ. And he is the one who is sovereign over the whole of the world. And unfortunately, as we look today, as we think about these words, innovation, creating things that are new, that's not often relegated, uh, or the, the, the organization that doesn't come to mind or the sector that doesn't come to mind is, is not the church. 
It's not religion. If anything, people's experiences are that religion and the church is, is kind of stodgy. It doesn't move. It doesn't change. Our society has changed quite significantly, and yet the church seems to be kind of at the lagging end of what the world is experiencing. And yet as we look at the scriptures, we see that the church needs to be at the leading edge of this kind of innovation and thinking. That today we ascribe this kind of newness and innovation to the, the realm of technology. When people think about the hope of our society, it's, it's laden with technology. We think about all the examples in the last two decades, especially if you're a millennial, they've been people, individuals, who have harnessed the power of technology in order to create some massive transformation. That transformation doesn't come from institutions anymore, but it comes from people who are able to use technology with innovation, with skill, network to the right people, and able to roll it out in ways that begin to change the world, from microfinancing to social networking. When people think about innovation today, it's very connected to technology. But we need to take a step back to see and under, understand the roots of this technological explosion because today, technology and the church don't necessarily go hand in hand. In fact, many churches are very critical of the, the use of technology and they might have right reasons for the applications of technology, but when we take a step back and look at the, the history of the church and its involvement in technology, we start to realize the church had a significant part in this idea that technology could be a bit of a savior. Let me quote to you a book written by David Noble called The Religion of Technology, The, the Divinity of Man, The Spirit of Innovation, or Invention. Technology had come to be identified with transcendence. This is during the medieval age. Implicated as never before in the Christian idea of redemption. The otherworldly roots of the, of the religion of technology were distinctly Christian. For Christianity alone blurred the distinction and bridged the divide between human and the divine. During this time, technological development came to be seen as a human potentiality that properly cultivated could help us reclaim the wisdom and virtue of God and had implanted in each human with the, uh, with the gift of his image. This view increasingly became absorbed in the mainstream of educational philosophy and was given specific direction by the formative theologian and philosopher Roger Bacon. Now, when we think of technology today, we've forgotten that the church in some ways baptized this emerging technology that had its roots in science. That said, this technology is good. We shouldn't be afraid of it because there were certainly cultures around the world coming from different worldviews that looked upon technology as something fearful, something to be avoided because there wasn't, people weren't sure what kind of evils would be evoked by the use of these various technologies. And the church began to root this idea of technology in transcendence, that this was a gift that arose out of our being created in the divine image, that we were given this potentiality to create such that we can push back against the effects of the brokenness of the fall. And we began to see that technology is a tool that we can use in order to provide uh, amelioration to all the difficulties that we experience in a fallen and broken world. See, we need examples like this that remind us again of how we need to think about our society, how we need to think about our work in a way that integrates our faith, theology, into seeing our, whole, our world in a whole new different light. 
And as we think about the work of Christ, the newness of, of this, behold, I am making all things new, innovation comes as we think about how this is connected to the work of Christ. And so when we think about the death, the resurrection, the glory of Christ, these kind of the center to the, the gospel, these actually become helpful in understanding how do we qualify this new? How do we as Christians begin to advance this idea of innovating our workplaces in such a way that creates this gospel-empowered transformation? And the first part of this is understanding the significance of the death of Christ, which is, corresponds to our experience of pain and brokenness. For those of you who were here with us last year at our conference, the theme was wrestling with God. And the, uh, the thing that we wanted to communicate is we need to take seriously the brokenness of our workplaces. That our workplaces are not something just to be complained about. So when you see pain, when you see frustration, it's not just a complaint that you share with your friends and with your coworkers around the cooler. But it's something that God opens your eyes to see in the same way that God opened Ezekiel's eyes to see the valley of dry bones. And he says, what do you see? Can these dry bones live? And of course, the answer was yes, but Ezekiel was so demoralized, all he could say was, sovereign Lord, only you know. And then God began to do a new work before his very eyes, using his very breath to take these bones that were dead and to reconstitute them to become a living army. But before God could do this powerful work of resurrection, there was this acknowledgement that do you see the death and brokenness around you? And do you see it, though, through the eyes and the lens of this new work that I'm doing? And so this morning, we're going to highlight a few examples of real pain that we see. We don't want to simply look at pain just for the sake of commiserating and playing misery poker. Who has the worst job? <laughs> But it's actually a significant part of this new way of advancing this, this idea of faith and work. We need to understand very carefully the elements that are broken in our work. Not in a way that's just complaining about it, but that really enters into the brokenness and pain. And secondly, as we move from death to resurrection, the resurrection presents to us a real power that we are not left to ourselves as we see the brokenness, but God enters into our world and he empowers humanity. He empowers human beings, as we see again in the Ezekiel passage, in order to see, be the agent of this kind of transforming renewal. Two years ago, we talked about that the theme was reimagining work. And in this theme, we were exploring this idea that the Spirit is all around us. He's at work in our world, not only within the context of the church, but He's at work in the context of your workplaces. He's as present there as He is here in any kind of uh, religious gathering or church context. But we need eyes to see that. We need an imagination to see how that power is available to those who believe, as the Scriptures say. And when we begin to see what is unseen, we begin to access a power and a realization that God is very present in the workplaces in a way that apart from this resurrection power, we would just be pretty disillusioned. And we would just be shifting from job after job after job, realizing there is no perfect job out there. But once we begin to realize that there is a power at work in your workplace in the present day, it begins to open your eyes to a new hope. 
And this afternoon, we're going to be looking at examples of power that we've brought together speakers that are able to help us understand the change that is possible and the power that now allows and enables organizations to go from point A to point B and experience a dramatic conversion. And, and this change has to be fueled by a vision, a vision of hope, a hope in the work of Christ, that he is doing something far more than we can ex imagine or expect. That when we think about this idea of, of reimagining or, or rehumanizing work as we get to this year's conference, there has to be a sense that rehumanizing work is this explosive concept that can transform work as we know it. We heard examples yesterday of SAS and Google as some of the leading examples of companies that have initiated very innovative ways of encouraging their employees. But this is just the tip of the iceberg. There is so much that needs to be advanced in this area of humanizing work. And we need a vision large enough to say, this is what I want to spend my life doing. In my company, I want to see this place, this workplace, this industry humanized in a way that creates a flourishing that no one thought would be even possible. That people could be excited about getting to work, waking up in the morning, because they see something worthwhile to wake up to. And nothing can provide that hope more than the work of Christ. Because as we look to the Gospels, we see that the ministry of Christ did not stop in his death and his resurrection. And that as he ascended into the heavens, this word, this, this Christian word ascension is so critical in providing the hope because what that term signifies is that when Christ ascended, there was a human being at the right hand of the Father. When we look at the book of Acts, the first Christian martyr was this man named Stephen. And right before he was stoned, he saw a vision. He looked to the heavens. And let me read you this passage from Scripture. When they heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked upon to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen smiles at his own stoning. What did he see that was so powerful that even in his own execution, he had this sense of amazing peace. And what he saw was not Jesus just merely in his divinity at the right hand of the Father, because the right hand of the Father signifies a position of authority. Jesus in his divinity had that authority. But Jesus in his humanity, which is emphasized by Stephen when he says, behold the Son of Man, alluding to the humanity of Christ, finally, Finally, there was some human being who was living out that original creation mandate to reign over this world, to be a vice regent of God, to claim authority over this world that God has created and God has stewarded to humanity. And he said there is a human being restored in that position of authority. And in, in Eastern cultures, when you saw... When you see a family member in a position of authority, 
you know that's as good as you being there. It's a little bit different in the Western kind of meritocracy, this culture of meritocracy where everyone has to prove their own way whether or not you're related. But in certain cultures, especially in the culture here in in the time of the New Testament, if your sibling was a member of political office, you enjoyed the benefits of that office. Your whole family did. And the book of Hebrews looks to the work of Christ and, it, and he calls Christ our brother. And Stephen, in seeing his brother at the right hand of the father, knows that he has made it as well. Humanity has been restored to become the vice regent over creation. To reign over this world, to be able to cultivate it, to manipulate all that God has provided for us, to cultivate it using the full faculties of what it means to be a human being, and to advance the glory of God through the manifestations of our hands. And that alone provides the most powerful vision of what it means to humanize work. That things can be dramatically different when our eyes are set upon this Christ who is now ascended and brings to us grace and mercy to advance this mission. And the last portion of our day will focus on this hope. How is this hope coming into the lives of real people and manifesting in the work that they do? How does it inform the vision they have for their work? And so as we move forward throughout this day, we hope that this will be an exercise of imagination because uh, there is no one, two, threes. There's no easy steps of bringing these two worlds together. But we need to create a new movement, a new faith and work movement that understands the importance of a new work and that people are empowered and engaged in order to see this new work come to life. CFW exists to explore and investigate the gospel's unique power to renew hearts, communities, and the world in and through our day-to-day work. To learn more about CFW's programs and resources, please visit faithandwork.com.